Justice Tech Pros here. I hope you enjoyed the um, introduction. I had had that done. Uh, I thought the visual came out very nice. Uh, and also you'll notice at the beginning of it, it has a little animation for the sub- hitting the subscribe button. And if you're enjoying the content, please do that because it will uh, just notify you every time a new episode is uploaded. This way you're aware of the latest episodes. Uh, today's content is going to work a little differently just in the sense that it's going to be more of a personal opinion based and almost uh, <laughs> I don't want to say a venting session but that that may be how it comes across a little bit uh, just because you, I read some of these things and you can't help but uh, not only get aggravated but just not understand that this is the how the justice system plays out and how society is totally okay with these things one of the uh, subjects that I have a hard time comprehending is how a lot of these instances where the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And what I mean by that specifically is I was just reading through certain cases and how particularly, which was disturbing when it, when it deals with, you know, I had a, an instance, a case where I was dealing with the child and you have this, this degenerate individual his name is uh, Robert Richards IV. He's the son of a prominent Delaware attorney, apparently some kind of heir to the DuPont Fort fortune. And I was reading an article how this degenerate piece of garbage, uh, he, he sexually assaulted his daughter in a, in a horrible way when she, from the time she was three years old to five years old. And this soulless individual did not receive any jail time. Instead, he was sent to a facility in Massachusetts. And that, you know, that's really disturbing. I mean, you have somebody, you don't get anybody more bottom of the barrel than that. You know, that's just a soulless, evil person. And they don't get any jail time. They they have done irreversible harm to a human being. I mean, he took his daughter who, you know, daughters always look at their fathers, you know, in a different light, and he ruined this girl's life. I mean, he totally destroyed it. Doesn't matter what kind of help this poor girl gets, she'll never be the same over what what her father did to her. And this guy gets no punishment for that. And then you see these, you know, other crimes. You You get a crime where somebody's charged with uh, a RICO, gambling with RICO, and they get 10 years, uh, you know, or 15 years, or 8 years, or, or you get somebody charged with um, RICO uh, conspiracy, and they'll have an extortion count, and they'll get charged with life. I mean, these crazy numbers, these crazy numbers. And when you think about the two, Apparently, with these RICO charges, they're always linked to some kind of organized enterprise. And usually, the crimes committed only affect other members of these organized enterprise. And when you talk about the type of crime I just read, that's a crime against the general public. You have a predator who could potentially hurt and traumatize children everywhere, you know, that they encounter. And yet there's no uh, repercussions for that. I mean, what was going through the judge's mind? What was going through the prosecutor's mind? 
How do, somebody like that is the one that deserves the uh, hard sentences. Instead, you know, they'll look at 70-year-old men, 80-year-old men, and they'll look to give them 25 years w- for a crime, which a lot of the general public don't even know what it means. A lot of them have to look up RICO. What does that even mean? They, they don't understand it. You know, you need a, uh, uh, a textbook just to understand what the law is. And they're getting hit with these huge sentences. And, and, and it's obvious, you know, it's obvious why. And again, that's where I was saying at the beginning, this is where my personal opinion comes into play. And I'm sure those in opposition will have, they'll cite reason after reason in their own mind of why it's justified. You know, and they'll, they'll cite these crazy numbers, you know, how it's affecting taxpayers, those crimes and all, all this stuff, which when you break it down, it's not a reality. Uh, they they exaggerate a lot. I mean, I've seen that a lot, where they'll take these numbers and exaggerate. Everything's millions and billions, and that's just not the truth. They do that for the for the shock value for the public. You know, they want to tell the public you're getting ripped off for millions and billions of dollars when that's not the reality of things. But what I'm talking about right here, this is real. This is a, a predator lowlife who changed and altered a little girl's experience for the rest. of of her natural born life destroyed it took her trust and destroyed it there's nothing lower and he gets no jail time and what was disturbing is I started looking into things similar and it actually bothered me to even have to research this type of stuff but I started looking into things along these lines and as I started diving in one thing that stuck out to me which uh, I'm going to read this passage the United States Sentencing Commission report put out last January, studied sex offender sentencing in the year of 2016. The results of that study are stunning, showing that in all the federal convictions for statutory rape, criminal sexual abuse, and abusive sexual contact in 2016, no jail time resulted. And then it goes on to say how state courts are no better. But imagine that, all those crimes, no jail time resulted you don't get any more of a danger to the community and danger to society than than a than a predator like that than a sexual predator on all different levels whether it's against women whether it's against children which is the lowest of low and yet they don't have any jail time but they'll parade in you know uh individuals uh who are innocent that they just happen to target, whether it's in different communities, whether it's on the federal level, on the state level, that makes a big headline. And I think a lot of that has to do with that. You know, they don't get the ink when uh, they um, they put away these sexual offend- offenders. They don't get those headlines. They don't get written about. But when you when you put away somebody with a high profile or a story that the general public is intrigued by, They want those headlines, so they're going to really go after them to almost send a message. You even see it in different areas. Uh, You see it even, I noticed, with like reality stars. You know, they get some of these reality stars, like uh, they had the guy from Jersey Shore and the guy from the Housewives. They really went after these guys. I mean, these were instances where their crimes did not deserve the time they got, but the reason why it was, was they were targeted. I mean, they they were in the spotlight, they were targeted, and they really went after him. They really hammered him. 
And it goes to show that something's wrong with that train of thought because that tells you, it tells me anyway, they're not really going after justice. They're going after uh, popularity and they're going after making the headlines and to feed an ego. It's more of an ego thing. It's not, it's not what, what's right or wrong thing. And that's what's disturbing. And that's why these, I don't know, I think that's, that's a big problem within the justice system in general. You know, when, when lines get blurred, and a lot of these beliefs, I'm sure, are based on my upbringing and my personal moral compass and my ethical value, but I do believe a lot of the general public relate to that. I don't know what person could look at two instances, one where you have somebody who ra- raped his own daughter or child, and there's a lot of unfortunate instances like that, and they get these light sentences to no sentence, and then you get an old man who supposedly in some kind of alleged position and some kind of organization where the crimes are all internal but they're giving guys like that life in prison i don't know anybody would look at that and say you know i don't see the uh the impact on society with the old man but i do see it on a on a predator pedophile or a rapist or anybody who's just a soulless individual i mean these are evil crimes you know, you see some of these things on the news where you get these these degenerates, they'll go around, they'll beat up old people, they'll rob them. I mean, just any day you, you open up the paper, you see this. Saw a video not too long ago, an old lady in, the, in an elevator, low life walks over, punches her in the face, robs her purse. I mean, this is a society problem. Look at the caliber of these people. And yet... And yet the uh, focus isn't on those type of things. You know, it's just uh, as a society, it seems like things are getting thrown off. And you could tell by a lot of these verdicts. And you could tell by what takes place in the courtroom. You could tell by priorities. And there's so many studies and articles that just kind of talk about these lenient sentences. I mean, there was a... um, Another individual in uh, Minnesota, another uh, sex offender, and actually the prosecutors wanted him to get more time. This guy assaulted and abused a teenager, and he was texting her stuff back and forth, all degenerate low-life stuff. And, uh, you know, he wound, up, he wound up raping her. She was a 14-year-old girl. This guy was 24, 25. And again, he doesn't get it. He got probation. That was his sentence. He spent four days in jail and wound up getting probation. Again, ruined the woman's life, ruined the little girl's life, 14 years old, stripped her of everything. And this guy gets four days in jail. You know, they want to say these low lives are sick and they need help. No, that, that's not accurate. They're not sick. They're degenerate lowlives. You know, people need to accept sometimes in life there's e- evil people. That's just how it goes. That's society. You, you can't fix everything. You can't diagnose everything. You, you can't say, oh, this one's sick. He needs help. No, sometimes you have evil, degenerate lowlifes who just shouldn't be part of society. That's just the way it goes. You know, that could be the excuse for anything. You get somebody who goes robs banks. Oh, they're sick. They have an addiction to to money. They have an addiction to money. They're robbing banks. Let's forget about jail. Let's put them in uh, 
you know, uh, a program to not be addicted to robbing money anymore. It's lunacy. But for some reason, that's how they look at these degenerate crimes. They want to try to say somebody's sick. Yeah, they're sick in the head. They're low lives. That's what they are. Forget about trying to help them. They're low lives. They're born evil. There's something in the wiring is off, and that's all there is to it. You got to accept that. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me in different, you know, uh, who, you know, but that's just how I feel. Whether it's my background, whether it's how I was brought up, my moral basis, I just feel you have good and you have evil in life. That's how it is. People like that are just evil. evil. <clears throat> and, you know, these articles just go on, and I got to say it was just even disturbing going down this route, looking at all the leniency given to these type of crimes. You know, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. I mean, there were so many sentences where you have some kind of sex offender, some kind of molester who got no jail time. And when you, when I, you know, I work on cases, and those are cases I would never touch. I wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. I would not. It's just uh, against everything I believe in. But I work on uh, on cases where you have innocent people and you see them fighting. And they're getting hit with these sentences that end the rest of their life. And they didn't, you know, not only are they innocent of the crimes, but even the crimes they're being accused of have to do with an internal alleged organization. So it's not even a danger to society. It's it's a danger to members being accused of being a part of this organization. And they're hitting them with these huge penalties where they're basically putting their lights out. They're ending their life based on these alleged crimes, which on top of it all, they're innocent of. And then you get these admitted pedophile molester lowlifes who say they've committed their crimes, but they want to use the crutch that they're sick and they're getting all kinds of leniency and no jail time at all. And I cannot wrap my head around that. You know, and to jump around a little bit, it goes back to what I touch on sometimes, the whole bail thing. You know, they'll remand people without bail. I mean, they want to charge somebody of RICO, which again, most of the general public don't even know what that is. They have to look it up. They'll hit them with a RICO conspiracy, and because of that, no bail. You mean to tell me there's no bail conditions you could set to make sure... You know, there is no danger, there is no threat. You could put an ankle bracelet on. I, I touched on this earlier on another episode, but there's so many things you could set, and it goes to show the double standard because right away an individual like that has no bail. And I was reading a story in the New York Post that just came out. This charity bails out some guy, you know, some guy, an alleged child molester. They bail him out, okay? He supposedly abused a three year old boy in Queens. This just happened. Uh, the article is December 4th, 2019. <clears throat> so they bail him out. $2,000 bail, mind you. Okay, this guy was caught on cr- camera, nonetheless, abusing a three-year-old boy. They gave him a $2,000 bail. Okay? So now this creep lowlife degenerate is out on the street again. Some nonprofit bails him out. Why? I have no idea. But they bail him out. As he's out on bail... He goes and gropes an eight-year-old girl. So he does it again. Molesting an eight-year-old girl inside the unique shopping mall in Jamaica, Queens. 
Imagine this. But this guy's not a threat to society. He makes bail instantly. Not only does he make bail, he makes a $2,000 bail. After he's accused of abusing a three-year-old boy, now he makes bail and he goes and he abuses an eight-year-old girl. And you're telling me there's not a disconnect there with the system? But you get an old man or somebody who uh, is charged with a RICO and you want to say keep them locked up because they're a danger, they're a threat? No, it's about the headlines. See, that's the difference. It's about the headlines. That person that you're holding in bail, you're going to get some stories written about. You're going to get some headlines. You're going to get your name in the paper. That's the difference. And again, this probably all does go back to my own personal beliefs, my own personal morals. But just look at it, I don't know, from a father's standpoint, from a son's standpoint, from a mother or uncle, whatever. How does somebody accused of RICO affect you as a citizen? How would you be concerned or, or, or nervous if this person's out on the street while they're trying to fight their case if they make bail? It doesn't impact society like that. But a degenerate molesting kids or a rapist does. And here's another example. An accused serial rapist. This was October 31st, 2019. Accused serial rapist released on $10,000 bond. Again, another another bond. And that's that's another good. These rapists get $10,000 bond, $2,000 bonds. If you have a stigma or you're an alleged uh, member of some kind of enterprise, you'll never get a $10,000 bond. I'm telling you right now. You'll get half a million dollars, a million dollars, crazy numbers. But here you go. You got an accused serial rapist. $10,000 bond. And then guess what? As he's out on bond, he rapes again. Ninth rape. It says he's then arraigned for his ninth rape. And what's incredible about this, you, you, you wouldn't believe this unless you read it. This guy's name was, uh, let's see, this degenerate is Kayshawn Diet. And it looks like uh, this took place in Alaska, it looks like. This guy was released on um, $5,000 bond in July of that year, which is May of 2018, after he was uh, he raped two women who accused him of rape. Okay, now after his release... Six more women, after he got bond, six more women came forward accusing him of rape. So he has 12 rape charges against eight women. So now, not only does he make bail, and he gets free on $10,000 bail, he goes out and and, uh, commits rape once again. Now, I just got to read a little bit of this. I don't want to bore you, but it's just, uh, you got to hear how this played out. Shortly after his release, six more women came forward with similar rape accusations, and Diet was indicted on a total of 12 rape charges against eight women. According to KTVA, some of Diet's accusers testified at a bail hearing, imploring the court to keep Diet in custody, fearing for their safety and safety of others. Under normal circumstances, a man like this would be held without bail or on over a million dollar cash bail. Yet prosecutors only asked for $100,000. 
The defense attorney accused the woman. So now the attorney's reversing it on the woman. He accused the woman of being part of the Me Too exploitation and implored the judge to keep the bail at five grand. Anchored Superior Court Judge Kevin Saxby set Diet free on just $10,000 bail. He even allowed Diet to stay out of jail for two additional weeks so he could come up with the poultry sum, ultimately enabling him to remain out on the streets for an entire additional year, despite the indictments of eight separate rapes. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And now, what's this? It goes on to really baffle my mind. So now he made bail after being uh, having twelve rape charges against him from eight different people. He makes bail. Now he apparently rapes again his ninth victim. You figure, okay, with that, you know, there's no way he's making bail now, right? It's nine times. No, he makes bail again. So now the ninth victim says that he strangled her and raped her. So he goes for a new uh, bond hearing. And now the judge hits him with a $500,000 uh, bail. Now, you, this is actually ridiculous. This guy rapes nine different people. And he's still getting bail. And you'll get somebody... Uh, you'll get somebody who who's never even been arrested before, who's never even been charged, and they they get held without bail. It just happened. Last case I was on, that just happened. Somebody who had no criminal record at all held without bail because of being uh, accused of RICO and uh, you know some serious charges were there, but still no criminal history and no bail. You can't put you can't put an ankle bracelet on somebody and let them out. I was reading in the paper uh, last week. There was a uh, an arrest, uh, and of course, it's going to be another high-profile case. And they remanded the individual no, no bail. And it doesn't appear like there's any violence in this case. Again, it's this RICO. It's a uh, it has to do with RICO conspiracy, and and it looked like the charges, the alleged charges, had to do with bribes and whatnot. And you're telling me you can't come up with a bail package? You can't give this guy bail? To at least be home with his family for the holidays. He's no danger to society. He's not out there uh, like these degenerates. He's not posing any kind of threat to women, to children. You want to hold him without bail? Why? Because it's going to make the headlines. Because you want to make a high profile case out of it. And that's that's a problem. I mean, that's a twisted way of thinking. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't, don't see a problem with that. And that's a society issue, in my opinion. I don't know how you can't prioritize things like that. You can't look at a situation like that and realize immediately what justifies bail and what doesn't, who's a real threat to society and who isn't. The average person can't tell that. I don't believe that. I don't know. You know, I come from a a background, a moral background of high integrity and high values and high and a high moral compass and you got to try to do the right thing you got to try to help people and you know you got to work hard and you got to have your ethics grounded and and you got to still be you know chivalry is not dead i mean the way i grew up you still hold doors open you still 
pay for meals, you know, you still uh, open the car door. There's certain things you do, mannerisms that you do. You know, you treat friends, you help friends out, friends in need. That's, you know, that that's how I was raised. That's what was instilled in me. And when I see, you know, people of high moral background who are good people and, and being charged of certain crimes that are, you know, that are not accurate and are not true, and they're being held without bail and they're being tormented and they're being put through the, the system and they're, they're not having justice served, it just doesn't make sense to me. And then you see these low-life degenerates who are a strain on society and who are damaging the human race and are ruining people's lives out and about and free and making bail. You have a hard time making peace with that. And, and it really, it really makes you jaded on the whole system. And how there's a lot of corruption that exists. And I'm not saying it's across the board. I mean, I remember in um, in a past case, actually, my father had a past case and there was a Judge Atlas. And I got to be honest, I, I give credit where it's due. His name was Judge Jeffrey Atlas. And this judge, I've never seen a more thorough, fair judge. And I got to be honest, this guy... When the indictment first came out, there was 50-something charges on it. This judge, it was a state case, so it worked a little differently. He went through all the charges. I think by the time he was done, him himself was done. He threw out, along with, obviously, um, defense counsel who, who put in motions for it, but the judge took the time. He went through all the charges and threw out, I think, 40-something. There was only five left out of 50 counts. There was only five left by the time he was done with That's a real judge. That's a judge who goes through something and says, there's nothing here. This is all garbage. He went by the law. That's all you could ask for. I, I've always said this. I'm not asking for a judge to be on the defense's side. I'm not asking for that at all. I'm just asking to run the trial fairly. Just be fair and impartial. That's all. The way it reads in the textbooks, just play that out. And you could see it. It's getting more and more common where it doesn't play out. You could see by these rulings. You could see by the mindset. You could see by the bail. And I don't think society grasps what's going on because they probably think, well, it's not going to affect us. And that's not true. It's just a matter of what, who they're going to target. And eventually it could come around to something that affects your life. And jurors have to be aware of that. And the public has to be aware of that. And I'm not saying think like me, believe, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is just look at things logically. Look at what's right. Look at how you were brought up. The majority of people, you know, are good people, I'm assuming, and they would realize why would a pedophile get bail, but an old man being charged with a count that I don't even understand isn't making bail. You can't put an ankle bracelet on this person. You can't set up a monitoring system to make sure... They don't leave a house. They only go for legal visits. All those things could be implemented. But they don't want to. And a lot of it is tactical. You know, a lot of the times they do those things, they they make people's lives harder to put pressure on them. You know, this last case I was on, they took one individual, and I really feel terrible for this person. They, They took him, they put him in the hole for 19 months. 19 months they put him in the hole. 
And why is that? Just to make his life miserable, to, to press him, to, to probably try to make him become an informant, to try to force him to lie. But this individual had a strong constitution. But imagine that. They make up, they actually made up a story to justify putting him in the hole. They tried to say he, he planned an escape, which he was acquitted of at, at trial. So goes to show it was made up. They actually made up a charge just to have an excuse to stick him in a hole. And the only reason was stick him in a hole was to torture him. And that's allowed to happen. In today's day and age, imagine that's allowed to happen. You torture somebody. You torture somebody because you want to get, you have some kind of agenda. You want to get something out of them, so you torture them. And then he goes to trial and he beats that charge because it was a BS charge. It, it was entirely made up. They brought in some alleged informant who was a uh, uh, pathological liar. He was another psychopath. He was always suicidal. The guy, this uh, genius, he he was in a halfway house. He breaks out of the halfway house. Now, in a halfway house, you know, you could come and go. Yeah, This, this moron breaks out of a halfway house, so he gets charged with escape. Then they arrest him. They bring him to a hospital because he lies. He says he has to go to the bathroom. He has diarrhea. The guy's just a low-life degenerate. Now, while he's in the bathroom, he tries to escape again. He tries going up through the uh, ceiling to escape again. And this is, you know, their informant. This was their uh, prized witness that they bring in to testify about the jail escape. Now, obviously, it, it was BS and the jurors saw through that. And what bothered me most about that is you see the government brings this guy on and tries to give him credibility, but obviously the jurors saw through the lies. And it goes back to last episode. So you see that. You see that's one of the individuals they bring and they try to have him lie. You don't nullify. You don't nullify the convictions. You don't nullify the verdict and render not guilty just based on that alone. You know, you know, you can't have... Uh, you know, if you have a soup and you have a piece of meat in that soup that's rancid and rotten, it pretty much, you're not going to pick through the whole soup and pull out the rancid piece. It should spoil the whole soup. And, I, you know, that's how I feel. When the government comes in, everything should be perfect. And if they bring in these tainted uh, liars of witnesses, well, shame on them. They shouldn't benefit and get the conviction if that's the caliber they're going to bring in. If you have evidence and you have a strong case, lay it out. But don't scrape the bottom of the barrel and then look to convict people based on that. And I'm probably going to get into a little more aspects of the case, uh, this last case, on an upcoming episode. Because there was a lot of things that took, you know, um, one of the attorneys I was working with, he used to tell me, he'd say, Dominic, you're gonna, you, you, what you're seeing now, I haven't seen in 40 years. In 40 years, he said, if you get... You know, once this case will pretty much set precedent, I'll be prepared for anything. Because what I've witnessed in that case, he said, I, he hasn't seen in 40 years. So if I was well versed in that case, I'd be prepared for anything. And it was true. I mean, the things that took place there, the bias, the unjust acts, the uh, rulings that were in our favor, then at the last minute reversed because they were in our favor. So then they were allowed back in. It, it was. Circus in a lot of respects, and it really was not fair. And when the the defendants did not get a fair trial, 
uh, specifically, uh, you know, the things that they did and the tactics they took just really, and unfortunately, it resulted in a negative outcome. I mean, the positive side of it is we have phenomenal uh, issues for appeal. Just, you know, constitutional rights were affected. So you got to look at things in a positive manner, and that's one positive aspect of it. You know, the appeal is going to be very strong, and uh, we have significant issues constitutional violation issues and the obstacle i see in general is just how do you get the general public to see what takes place to understand because if you explain these things i mean before experiencing them i'm going to be honest before experiencing them if somebody told me that all these things take place in the court i would have a hard time believing it you know i was naive in that sense i would think certain things play out the right way i would feel well the judge can't do that you know, if it's not, uh, if it's not uh, constitutionally allowed, the judge can't do it. And boy, was I wrong. You know, you set foot in their courtroom, they're going to do whatever they want. And I think the ad- outlook some of them have is take it up on appeal. If I'm wrong, take it up on appeal. And when you think about it, it's true. They could do what they want. And if they're wrong, there's nobody at that stage that could step in and say they're wrong. You have to play the trial out. So you have to play it out. You have to risk all of these things that are being done against your interest have to play out. And only then do you have a shot to question what took place at the appellate level. And that's what I didn't realize, you know, um, until I got involved in this uh, industry. I didn't realize how much power. I always knew, obviously, a judge had power, but I didn't realize how much power and how it's pretty much free reign in that courtroom. And you got to pray you get a good judge. Because if you don't, you're really at their mercy. And they're going to dictate how things go. And they're going to dictate if you have if you get a fair trial or not. And if they have an agenda, they're going to see it fulfilled. There is no doubt they'll see it fulfilled. And then you have to sit there, let it all played out. God forbid you get found guilty. The only shot you have to really um, have your issues looked at is on the appellate level. And at least there it goes to three judges. You know, you have three different opinions looking at it and comparing it to the law. But, you know, I was naive where I would think certain things you just couldn't do. You know, you would think, well, that can't be allowed. You could throw that all out the window. Once you're in that courtroom, whatever they want to do, they're going to do. So you have to get that out of your head that they can't do this, they can't do that. They could do whatever they want. And the general public doesn't see that. I myself didn't think it was this bad. You know, I I knew just from personal um, experiences and going through things with uh, individuals, I knew that um, things were done in a biased manner, but I never realized to the extent. I'm going to be honest, I didn't until, you know, this last trial. You really don't understand it, and the general public doesn't, and that's the obstacle you know that's the challenge how do you get the general public to understand and this is the only way on my level i could come up with something like this a podcast something to get the word out you get people listening one person tells another and it grows and expands that way and eventually you start educating on that level and you know what's uh different about this is this is an actually complete opposite of my business at hand you know my business 
we don't deal with the public. I explain that in the sense that we don't um, have the public come retain us. We work for the for the actual attorneys, and then once we're you know working hand in hand with the attorneys, then we build a relationship with the client, and we we try to uh, have that relationship. But we don't we don't uh, seek the general public. So I wanted to create something where I could appeal to the general public and try to just give them an insider's look of what takes place. And that's one of the great things about, uh, you know, today's day and age and technology. I mean, you can just open up and allow the, you know, the public to come in and hear what you have to say. And hopefully, gradually, things grow and subscribers increase and the word gets out. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll get one of the subscribers on the jury, on somebody's jury, and they'll see an injustice taking place, and they'll remember some of the things you know I talked about and discussed, and it'll stick in their head. I'm actually excited for um, an upcoming episode. I have an attorney, Howard Greenberg, coming on, and I, and from a professional standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I really like this individual. He um, he's a good guy. And I can't say that about many attorneys. <laughs> um, I have a few that are that are great guys, but um, not many. And th- this guy's a really good guy, so it should be an interesting interview. He has um, a lot of, you know, he's very knowledgeable. He has a lot of strong opinions. Uh, he's a great defense attorney. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I told you on January 8th we're having the expert, so we have a few things in the works. I'm gonna have a few other guests on. But today I just wanted to kind of connect more on a personal level. Today may not have been as educational or as insightful, and you could you could um, chalk it up to today was more of a venting uh, episode, and, and that may be. I, I may be guilty of doing that today, but these were just issues that are very frustrating when you see them play out, and you see when you see um, people getting bail that are accused of these heinous crimes and then they're repeating these heinous crimes and then you see good people um, that are not hurting the general public, not hurting children, not raping people. They're sitting in jail for the holidays. They're missing their families. These are family-orientated people who uh, take care of their family, protect their family, and they're not making bail. You know, it's just frustrating seeing that. You know, and I I know there's other sides of that. People look at things differently. But I just look at it from factual. The facts are they're sitting in jail. They're not a danger to society. They've never committed crimes against society. Never innocent people were affected. Those are the facts. And then you have people who have harmed innocent people, have changed the future of children have committed heinous, degenerate, god-awful crimes, making bail. Those are the facts. Regardless of how you look at uh, different things and you you look at different organized enterprises, um, I'm just talking about the facts of what those areas affect. You have one that affects the general public and you have one that they're accused of crimes that only affect their internal structures and their internal alleged organizations. Those are facts. And I know, again, it goes back to where, you know, opposition will say, no, taxpayers get affected billions of dollars. And But 
those numbers are so inflated. I can only I, I could tell you from experience when uh, this last case, they, they accuse of millions and millions of dollars. They throw numbers out that just don't. It's just not realistic. It's all to make the headlines and to have the jurors' jaws open up. You know, they want to really shock value everybody when they throw these crazy numbers out there. And it's just not realistic numbers. They do that just to, again, persuade and influence the jury. They want to almost piss the jury off. They want the jury to get envious. And it's not realistic. It's not real real facts and figures. It's just not. But that's what they do. And it has a, a horrible snowball effect. And... The only way to change that, which I harp on time and again to change the tide, is through platforms such as this. So I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to try to, you know, as topics come up, I'll probably have a lot of sessions like this more and more where it's just a personal connection with the audience. I hope you enjoy that style as well because uh, I'm not a robot, you know, I... I, uh, Although I work in a professional capacity, professional manner, and I do separate my feelings when I'm on cases and I'm on jobs and I'm on, you know, I'm dealing with my clients. This I could be a little bit more open on how I view things personally because this is just a uh, a podcast I'm putting together. It has no reflection on uh, my organization or, um, you know, uh, any any influence on that aspect. This is just me discussing different uh, different topics, different subjects. And sometimes I'll try to uh, look at it from an outsider's perspective, and sometimes I won't. And when it comes to topics like today, I'm going to look at it with my personal views, and I'm going to analyze it with my own morals. And that's just the way it goes. I'm sure uh, a lot of listeners will appreciate that. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll be back soon.